From the studios of WGMU in Fairfax, Virginia, this is Loose Vague and Indeterminate. Loose Vague and Indeterminate is the podcast of the Economic Society at George Mason University, a registered student organization committed to guiding students, organizing events, and provoking discussion to amplify George Mason University's reputation as a destination for economic students. I'm your host, Dominic Pino. Today's co-host with me is George Minning. Introduce our guest today, George. Okay. Uh, to my right is Caleb Pettit. He's a good buddy of mine. He's a third year, but you're graduating early, if I remember correctly. Um, he's going to tell us a little story about uh, a time he was in Europe, right? And uh, hitchhiking around, tying it together with some economic topics. Um, that's pretty much the only introduction we need for Caleb. He's quite the character. Fun fact about Caleb, he's a, a big climber. Not quite in the way that you would expect. Um, we're talking buildings. We're, top, we're talking rappelling, tunneling through air vents. Not rock climbing, not mountain climbing. We're talking urban climbing, basically a, a mini Spider-Man. So uh, without further ado, let's, uh, let's hand it right back over to him. All right. Well, uh, th- this is Dominic again. This is not Caleb yet. Say hi, Caleb. Hi. Hello, Caleb. All right. Well, we're glad to have you here. Um, you've got this awesome story about hitchhiking in Europe. And it's my contention that we can teach all the basics of economics with this hitchhiking story. Do you agree with that? Do you think we can pull it off? I think we can pull it off. All right. I think we can pull it off, too. And I, it, it, it's inspired by the legendary book that all George Mason econ students have read, Economics in One Lesson by Henry Hazlitt. You know, the really super pro uh, George Mason econ students read it in high school. Mm-hmm. I did not. I did so not. I, I'm not one of Are you one of those? I'm not. You did not. Okay, yeah. I, I'm not one of those either. But I did read it in Rasmussen's class, of course, because that's required. Yep. And you got to be doing that. So, um, economics in one lesson, we can do that there. We can do it here with this podcast, I think. So, Caleb, why don't you take it away and tell us about how you were stranded in Europe on an exchange trip and you hitchhiked your way back to safety? Okay. So, um, just for starters, this is my. My one good story. So um, <laughs> I have some, some other good ones. But this is my story. Um, whenever anyone asks me about my study abroad trip, this is the story I bring up. So um, it was my fall semester uh, 2018. So I was it was my second year in college. Um, and so I decided to go and uh, study abroad in Madrid. And things were going well. Uh, I was having a good time. But every couple of weekends I would have enough time so that I could go and travel around Europe and get to see it more. Um, and so at the beginning of my trip, I was trying to plan out where I wanted to go on these weekend trips. And I was just looking at a map and I saw this place called Andorra, which is this micro nation between Spain and France. And I recalled that I had learned about it a little bit in geography in uh, my freshman year of high school. And I was like, I really don't know anything about this place. Um, I doubt anyone really goes here. And I wonder what it'd be like just to show up and, and see what it's like. And so I planned a trip to go there. Um, and I couldn't find any flights. And, and so what I ended up doing is I bought a flight to Toulouse, France, and then got a train ticket to take me to Andorra. And I planned this trip for the first weekend of December. So it was not nice and warm in the the mountains um 
Uh, yeah, Andorra. just so, just so people can, and just so people listening can understand that Toulouse is in the south of France, and then Andorra mm-hmm. is in the southern border of France with Spain, right up in the mountains. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So, and Andorra is in between Spain and France, and it's right in the Pyrenees Mountains. Mm-hmm. So, um, that's why there are no no airports. Is because you can't build one because it's either <laughs> it's either on a mountain or in a valley, and so, I, uh, uh, yeah, so. It was about less than a week before I wanted to go back and just double check my my travel uh, plans to make sure I had everything in place. And I noticed that the train was not taking me to Andorra La Vella, which is the capital city where I thought I was going. It was taking me to a place called La Hospitalet Presse Andorre, which is this small little town on the French Andorran border. And so I realized... Like I was going to be an hour outside of the capital and I had no idea how I was going to get in. And so that was my first big decision point. I was like, okay, I can either cancel this trip, just call it, you know, it's, it's a sunk cost, nothing I can do. <laughs> I'm never going to make it in. Yeah. Um, but then I said, okay, you know what? I bet I can just wing it, um, which is kind of my life philosophy. Um, <laughs> and so I said, I can, I can roll up and I'll, I'll figure out something. And so without any plan of how I'm going to get over the border into Andorra, I decided to go on this trip. So I get up at like four in the morning on, uh, on a Friday and uh, get to the airport, fly out of Madrid and into Toulouse. Uh, I get there sometime early in the morning and I take a taxi over to the train station and I'm getting ready to, to get a train over to the border where I'm going to figure out what the heck I'm doing that day. <laughs> and so I uh, I get to the train station. I'm waiting around, and I'm looking at the board to see where or when my train's coming in, which which track it's coming on. And it's like 15 minutes before it's supposed to be showing up, and it's still not on the board, and I have no idea what's going on. So I go over to this help desk or whatever, and... I don't speak French and people in France don't speak English. (laughs) And so after a lot of hand waving and pointing, I learned that the train had been canceled and they're going to send a bus like two hours later. And so (laughs) I just, uh, I waited around the train station a little bit, got super bored. And, uh, eventually the bus rolled up. They didn't even check my ticket. I just got on this bus (laughs) totally random. That does not seem like an efficient system. Um, but get on this bus and I learned that they don't announce where you are when they're stopping places in the bus (laughs) and my destination is not the final destination. So I can't just wait until the bus driver is done. I have to figure out where I am so that I get off at the right place. And so I'm on this bus and I'm seeing signs for Andorra and I'm feeling good. But then the bus driver takes a little turn off the main road and i'm like okay this must be where where i need to get off this looks like he's starting to to deviate from the path to andorra so i get off and i turns out he was getting off the main road and then getting back on the main road to stop off at this one town and it was called uh axelus therms and it's this completely random town in the in the south of france so it's half like mini golf resort and half like auto repair shops. It's the most eclectic mix of things that you've ever seen in a town. 
and they've got like one main street and I was dropped off on that. No idea what, what I'm doing. And I realized, okay, I can't just get a cab to get somewhere because there are no cabs because I'm in the middle of nowhere. And I realized for the first time, this might be bad. <laughs> I might I might be in a little bit of trouble. This is the first warning sign. This was yeah. not going to turn out how you planned. Exactly. And so I find this tourism office in this town. I don't know why they had it because I don't know why anyone would go there. <laughs> Maybe for the mini golf. Um, and so I get in there and there's this lady behind the desk and her English is rough. But she successfully tells me that there is a bus that will take me to Andorra, but it only comes three days a week and I missed it for the day. And she's like, okay, you can just stay the night. And she's trying to tell me when the next bus is coming and where to get it. And I have no idea what she's talking about, but also not making it to Andorra is not a really great option because if I, if I show up late, then I miss a ton of stuff I planned because I have a bunch of reservations the next day to do stuff in Andorra. So my my trip was packed. And so showing up late means I miss out on a lot of really cool stuff. And so I, I'm, I'm just trying to figure out what I'm going to do. And there's this random guy in, in this shop. And he goes, you're trying to get to Andorra? And I go, yeah. He goes, hitchhike. Okay. So... <laughs> This this lady's still giving me information about the buses, and then whenever she turn away, I talk to this guy to try to figure out what I need to do to hitchhike. He's like, "You walk down this road, it'll take a curve. You'll hit the main road. There'll be a roundabout there. Take a left at the roundabout. There'll be a cutoff. Wait there five minutes. Put your thumb out. You'll get a ride." I'm like, "Okay, sweet." So no way I'm going to do this this bus idea because I'd miss everything pay more money and and be staying here for a night and i don't want to stay here because it's mm-hmm. literally in the middle of, the, of nowhere and it's nothing so i i walk out on this road um and way the guy described it i thought it'd be a little bit easier to walk on but there's there's like no no curb or anything <laughs> i'm just like walking on the road just hoping that cars don't come and i don't get hit and die somewhere in the middle of nowhere in France. And so make it to this roundabout. Um, and I, I put my thumb out and sure enough, five minutes guy, guy pulls over. Um, and he's a true Frenchman. So he's got like four packs of cigarettes in his center <laughs> console. And he's like, where are you going? I go, I'm trying to get to Andorra La Vella. He goes, I'm going to, um, Pas de la Casa, which is, um, a town on the other side of the French Andorran border. So it'd be inside Andorra. So he goes, yeah, I'm going there. I can take you that far. I go, awesome. So I get in the car with this guy. He speaks Spanish and I speak some Spanish. And so we have what kind of resembles a conversation. It's a lot better of a conversation than when I'm trying to talk to people in French because that's just awful. <laughs> um, so talking and I'm, I'm giddy. It's I, I think it's the, the funniest thing in the world that I'm hitchhiking and I'm de- internally debating if I tell my parents about this afterwards. <laughs> and But I'm just having the best time in the world. The guy drops me off after we get over the border. There are no problems getting over the border. I am thrilled. Then I he drops me off at this, this pull-off place at the uh, side of the road just outside of Pas de la Casa. And I, I end up waiting there for about 20 minutes. And this old guy rolls up and 
he asked me where I'm going, and I'm like, I'm going to Andorra La Vea. And the guy says, Paste La Casa. I'm like, oh, I know we're here. I'm trying to get to Andorra La Vea. Uh-huh. The guy's like, Paste La Casa. I'm like, whatever, I'll get in your car. Just like, hopefully you kind of understood what I'm trying to say. Nope. The guy <laughs> drives for literally a minute, maybe two, no more than that, into the center of town and drops me off. <laughs> I'm like, that was completely pointless. I could have walked that if I wanted to. There's no reason for me to hit be hitchhiking that distance. Uh-huh. Um, so I'm like, okay, I'll just try to hitchhike from in here, but I can't, I can't find a good place to hitchhike. So I'm like, okay, fine. I'll just, I'll walk back to where I was. Forget this guy. But then I walk past the place that he dropped me off and I see a bus. I'm like, Oh, this is why he dropped me off here. He was trying to get me to, to this bus stop so that I could take a bus into town. And so I go to the bus and, um, buy a ticket and I'm like, okay, I'm golden. I'm going to make, make it to where I'm going on time. And then I, I realized they don't announce stops again. And so I, I have anxiety about like overshooting. And so I, I get off a town too early. So I have to walk a 5k into, into, um, Andorra La Vea. And so I make it there and as I make it there, my phone dies. So I have no idea how to get to my Airbnb. So I go into this grocery store that also has like a restaurant in it that has power outlets that they just let me use. And so I charged up my phone, figured out where I was going, got lost because they don't label anything in this town. <laughs> Take a cab to my place. And turns out I had actually walked by it and said, nope, that's not the right place. This can't be. And so I'm finally at my, my Airbnb. But then I can't find the apartment room within this apartment building that I'm supposed to be staying at. And these people come down and they're trying to help me, but they have no idea what's going on either. Mm-hmm. And so they're like, okay, we have to be someplace in like 30 minutes, but you can come up into our apartment for a little while. We'll help you figure things out. And just for our listeners, this is, this is the most, um, this is, this is the most seamless part of this story. This oh. is the best transit leg you had in this story. Yeah. Yeah. So, so this so just to give you a perspective of what's coming up and also just so you know, George has not heard this story before I have. So I'm a little bit on the inside here. George has not heard it before. So, um, so right now Caleb has finally made it to Andorra La Vea where he wanted to go after hitchhiking once taking a bus kind of twice, but kind of twice, but yeah. the second one's really short. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And then taking two different two bus rides mm-hmm. and you finally get there. Finally get there. Okay. Perfect. Um, and so I'm in the apartment building and I show them my Airbnb reservation. They're like, oh, Sarah, we know Sarah. <laughs> and so they're like, don't call her with your phone because my phone is like some drug dealer burner phone for just like my study abroad trip. And so they, they pull her up. They have her in their contacts and in, in their phone and they give her a call and we sort things out. What ended up happening was she had moved within the apartment building by Airbnb wouldn't let her change her address. So her real address was in the comments, but I, I screenshotted the wrong address. And so we figured everything out and I finally made it. And I thought, wow, this is the best story I've ever had. There's no way I could ever top this. It gets so much better. It gets so much better. Um, so I have a great time while I'm in Andorra. I do like a million one things, including dog sledding, um, snowmobiling, <laughs> just hiking, um, just a a wide variety of things. It was a great time, but I knew that I had to get back to the the train station that I was supposed to be at 
Um, because I, I still didn't have a way to get from Andorra La Vea to, um, to uh, La Hospitala Press Andorra. And so there's a bus station in town. And so I saw that they had a bus that went there. So I was like, okay, I'll just, I'll buy a bus that day. Um, when I'm trying to, trying to leave, which was on Sunday. Mm-hmm. And, and just to remind everyone, you're going, you're trying to get back to Toulouse. Trying to get back to Toulouse to, to fly back to Madrid. To fly to Madrid. So Madrid, capital of Spain, right in the middle of the country. Yep. Um, Toulouse back in the south of France. This is, you're retracing your steps of how you got there. Exactly. Okay. Yep. And so I, uh, on Sunday I go and, uh, oh, maybe it was Saturday. Um, anyway, regardless, <laughs> I... I go to the bus station um, and I buy a ticket and I I'm going to um, the hospital to let press Andorre and things are going well but everyone gets off the bus except for for me for this last trip to the hospital let and so I I looked at my reservations and I have this 12 hour gap between when my train leaves and when my plane leaves so I have this huge layover which ends up being a lifesaver. I, I'm just trying to settle in and be as comfortable as possible on this bus. I like kick my feet up on the seat and I'm, I'm just relaxing. I'm just trying to, to, to take it easy. And so the guy who's driving the bus starts talking to me and I have no idea what he's saying. Cause I don't speak whatever language he's speaking. Um, cause Andorra, they can be speaking French, Spanish, or Catalan, which is, it sounds like Spanish, but it's not. Um, so I have no idea what he's saying. So I turn to face him. He stops talking and so I just I just kind of go back to to trying to get a little bit of rest. And so we get to the the train station uh, where he's dropping me off. And so I go over the door to get out. The guy doesn't open the door. And I'm like, okay, what's going on? And so he starts yelling at me. I have no idea what he's saying. And I'm like, dude, what's going on? And then he starts kicking the seat next to him and screaming, it's normal, it's normal. And I'm like, <laughs> Oh, he was not okay with me putting my feet on that seat. <laughs> and so I started apologizing in all the languages I know. And eventually he just lets me on the bus. But I'm like, okay, that was weird, creepy. Because this train station, it's like one track going one way, one track going the other way. And it's in the middle of nowhere. Which is not a gr- I I don't know why I was traveling so much in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> but it's not great if you don't want to get murdered. And so I was convinced that this guy was going to kill me somewhere in this train station because it would be a great place to kill someone. And so I'm waiting around like an hour and a half for this train because I've, I've got plenty of time between when my bus got there and when my train was leaving. But I don't see it on the screen. And so I'm like, okay, please don't do this to me. Don't don't like get super complicated and I have to figure stuff out again. I just wanted this to be simple and to go home. And then my train doesn't show up. It's 8 o'clock and... I'm I'm looking for my train and it's not coming. It's not on the screen. The next train scheduled is for like the morning. And I'm like, I don't know what to do. So mm-hmm. I go into the train station, which is definitely not really like a train station. It looks like a visitor's center. It's like one building or it's like one room and it's just like bathrooms and a, a help desk. And there's some guy there who's got an iPad and he looks like he's a janitor, a security guard. And a help agent, he's doing all three jobs. And so I'm like, okay, maybe this guy can help. I'm like, hey, man, showing him my ticket, when is this train coming? He, he looks at his iPad and goes, it's not coming. I'm like, what do you mean it's not coming? He's like, it's not coming. Stay here the night. Then a train will come in the morning. 
can get you to Toulouse. That doesn't does not do me any good because my train or my my flight leaves out of Toulouse at eight in the morning. So if I sleep the night at the Hospitalet and then I take a train up, I miss my flight and I have to buy a new flight. Otherwise, I have to stay here the night, then take a bus back to Andorra, and then take a bus from Andorra to Barcelona, and then take a train from Barcelona to Madrid. That'll take me a long time and cost me a lot of money. So I'm like, okay, so I can take the the yeah, super boring, expensive route, or hitchhiking worked last time. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, all right, I can just hitchhike again. It'll be no problem. No problems. I can't I can't foresee any problems. There will be problems. There will be problems. <laughs> and so I'm like, okay, I'm just going to hitchhike. And so I go out on the main road, put my thumb out. Um, it's at this point dark. And it's December in the south of France in the in the mountains, so it's cold. And uh, but a guy a guy pulls over really quickly, and uh, get in his car. Um, and he thankfully realizes that I have no knowledge of the French language whatsoever, and doesn't bother trying to talk to me. He just smokes a cigarette, and we ride in silence. And so um, he gets me all the way up to Axelus Therms, just a little bit past there. Drops me off there. And then continues on his way. And so I'm waiting out there for about 10 minutes, but it starts to rain a little bit. And I'm like, this is not a good sign. Um, if this was a movie, this would be foreshadowing. But thank goodness it's not a movie because there's no foreshadowing and it's just it's just a coincidence. Um, there was foreshadowing. There was foreshadowing. And so some guy rolls up blasting some French music and he lets me in his car and he's going to get me all the way up to Foix, which is the only major town in between where I started and where I was going, which was Toulouse. And so um, he basically doesn't try to talk to me for most of it. But then at the end, he tries, and it's it's just a struggle. Um, and so we're on this kind of three-lane highway, and he's like, are you okay? Where do you want me to drop you off? And I'm like, right here is fine. So he lets me out on the side of this highway, goes on his way. And I'm like, oh, this is awesome. It's a three-lane highway. I'm going to get a ton of people stopping in no time because there, there are plenty of cars passing. And so the biggest problem I'd been facing in the past was just lack of volume. So not a whole lot of cars were coming through down um, by the hospital or by X. And so I was like, okay, so I'll be, I'll be golden. This is a big city, big road. Everything will be good. And then 20 minutes goes by. I'm like, what's going on? Why, are, why isn't anyone stopping? Like, I know... I shouldn't expect people to just stop for me, but people have been doing that in the past and I don't know what's wrong. And then a cop car rolls around the corner, lights on, and I'm like, just put down my thumb. I'm like, they're not coming for me. Please, I don't want to get arrested in a foreign country. That is literally my greatest fear. And then the car proceeds to pull over just past me. Cop gets out of the car. Lights are blaring and I I can't really see super well but the the cop indicates for me to come towards them i'm like oh crap i'm just i'm gonna get locked away in a french prison and this is how my story ends so is hitchhiking illegal it so i had no idea of that hitchhiking is not illegal but there are places that you can't hitchhike and i did not know that at the time um and maybe you were in one of those places it seems oh hey george is a scholar um i'm trying to you know guess ahead yeah yeah the cop gets me into the back of the car and i've never been in the back of a police car before and it's like okay this this is a new new personal low and so 
somehow the cop figured out that I spoke some Spanish and didn't speak any French. But he starts screaming at me in Spanish. He goes, Duenes loco. Duenes loco. So you are crazy. You're crazy. I'm like apologizing in Spanish um, as fast as I can. And, uh, and he basically explains to me that this road is too busy um, and people drive too fast um, and it's too dark out. So it's, it's not, you're not allowed to, to hitchhike on this road. It's too dangerous. And so I did not know that when I had started hitchhiking there, but learned that the hard way. Um, so he takes me to a McDonald's. Um, my roommates described it as him trying to take me to an American embassy um, <laughs> and inadvertently take me to McDonald's. Um, so I like to think of it in that way. So he takes me to McDonald's, looks at stuff in my passport, goes, hey, you can hitchhike on this road, but you can't hitchhike on that, that main road that you were before. And so I go, okay, thank you. But I'm, I'm pretty shaken up because I just got like, not, not arrested, but, but like held in the back of a police car for a while, which is not something that I ever foresaw happening in my life. Um, especially not in France. And so like, okay, so I go to McDonald's. Um, I have some trouble with my card. Um, but I end up getting like a big Mac or whatever because God bless America. And so capitalism works. Yes. That's, that's lesson number one. And so I, I'm, I'm looking at my phone and I'm looking for an Uber or, or any kind of ride sharing thing that can get me to Toulouse without me having to go back out and hitchhike. Cause now I really don't want to get arrested or pulled over to have anything sketchy happen, but I find nothing. And so I go, okay, I'm, I'm going to go back out. I'll hitchhike. No problems. So I'll go out. Um, a couple of people pull over, um, but they're not going the same direction that I'm going. So they, they wish me well and go on their way. And then this guy comes and he's like, I can't get you all the way to Toulouse, but I can get you closer. Okay. Okay, cool. And this guy is the most random guy I've ever met. So he, he speaks English. He's super cool. So we could have a conversation and he's like, yeah, I, uh, I teach saxophone at like a middle school or something. I'm like, okay, that's like kind of a normal job. And he's like, but before I was a beekeeper and I was like, <laughs> okay. And he's like, before that I worked in computers. And I was like, I don't get you, man. Like I don't understand this at all. And so, so I had a fun conversation talking to this guy and then like three minutes before he drops me off, he's like, oh, I don't really know where I'm going to drop you off. And I'm like that seems like something you should have thought about before you picked me up. But he he drops me off by this roundabout. But I know I've talked about being in the middle of nowhere before, but this is the most middle of nowhere place that I stopped on this entire journey. So we've reached peak middle of nowhere for those of you following along at home. Yes. And so there's like a warehouse next to me and then there's like a McDonald's somewhere in the distance. But other than that, I am not near civilization. Also, it's amazing to me that Besides being in the middle of the nowhere, there's still the McDonald's. There's still always the McDonald's. American Embassy mm-hmm. is still there. Always there. Doesn't count as civilization though. You're still in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> yep. I doubt that there's anyone near this McDonald's because there's no one on these roads. And so I'm hanging out. I'm by like a warehouse or something, and I'm I'm waiting, and no one's really coming by, and the people who are coming by are just like going 100 miles an hour, and the people who aren't might pull over, but then. If they pull over, they're not going the same direction as me. And I'm, I'm starting to get worried because it's like kind of later at night and no one's really stopping and it's cold and it's raining and it's dark. And at this point, how far are we away to the time that you need to be in Toulouse? Ten, uh, so I think I got there at about um, 
got dropped off here at about uh nine ish nine nine thirty ish and I end up staying there for an hour and a half before I get picked up. Okay. Um so that was it was a long wait. So I, I need to get um to Toulouse by eight in the eight in the morning is when my flight leaves. So I'm trying to get there at six, so I have two hours um before my flight leaves. Um but being I'd never stopped and stayed at a place for an hour and a half. And so I, I am starting to panic. I'm worried that I'm just gonna like die on the side of this road. I'm like, okay, how long will it take them to find my body and to notify my parents? <laughs> like that's what I'm thinking about on the side of this road. Uh-huh. I'm in I am in complete panic mode. Um and so I'm like, I just need to get to Toulouse and So getting to so one other way of saying this is getting to Toulouse is very quickly um, ascending your list of ordinal values. Yes, it is. <laughs> it is definitely on top of that. <laughs> all right, all right. It is it is like breathing, not dying from the elements, getting to getting to <laughs> getting to Toulouse. All yes. right, perfect. Um, and so, eventually, this young couple is driving by and they stop. And they were they were the nicest people I met on this journey. Um, they were they were really awesome. Um, they definitely helped me out a lot. Um, and so. I tell them I'm going to Toulouse, and they're like, we can't get you there, but we know a place where you can get picked up or get, we can get you a ride. I'm like, awesome. Okay, so I get in, and I can have – they they're young, and they listen to American music, so they know some English. Um, plus, um, there are two of them, so we can have a Google Translate conversation. And so I'm, I'm finally able to communicate with people, and so I'm, I'm very much enjoying it. Um, and they're, they're part of the yellow vest movement, the gilets jaunes yeah. in France and they, people the revolution, man. Yeah. French and the revolutions, man. It, <laughs> it's like every five or 10 years, this, it never stops. But, um, they, they're really not fans of Macron. And, um, so there is going to be a protest or a rally somewhere. And they're like, if we take you to this protest, we'll be able to find you a ride because someone will be going back to Toulouse. I'm like, awesome. This rocks. Um, down with Macron, Viva La Revolution. <laughs> like, whatever I need to do to get out of here, I'll say it. Um, and so they they drive back to this, this neighborhood down a bunch of alleys. I have no idea where we're going. We end up in, like, by this fence, and we get we hop this fence to get to a toll road and this toll road's got like three lanes going each way. It's, it's quite large. And at the toll booths, there's basically no one except for a bunch of Frenchmen wearing yellow vests, standing around a trash can fire, drinking and singing in French. <laughs> and so I'm okay, this is, this is something new. All right. Um, and so, um, the guy starts talking to these people in French and, um, then he turns to me and goes, I can't find a ride for you. I think the cops are going to show up soon. Let's get out of here. I'm like, <laughs> no cops. I I am okay with that idea. Yeah, no. let's try to avoid the cops. And so, especially because uh, these cops won't know Spanish. Yeah. Um. And so, I uh I get back with them and they they drop me off at this other roundabout that's a little bit busier. And they're like, okay, you'll have a better chance here. They pull out this piece of paper, write the word Toulouse on it. Like, hopefully this helps. They go on their way. Um, and there's this like small little hotel near me. And so if I want to stay the night there, I can, but if I do that, that means that I've basically accepted defeat. I'm not going to make it to Toulouse in time. 
and I'm going to have to find a bus out of wherever I am, which I, to this day, have no idea. Um, <laughs> I have to get a bus back to somewhere that can get me a, back to hopefully Andorra where I could get you know, to Barcelona, to Madrid. And so it would take me the rest of the weekend to get home, and it would cost me a couple hundred euros. So the cost is high of not making it to Toulouse on time. So I'm like, I think I can make it. I'm almost there. I'm probably no more than 60 or 70 kilometers out. And so um, I'm hanging out there. And how far is that in freedom units? In freedom units, that's uh, <laughs> 30 or 40 miles. Okay, there we um, go. Yeah it's, yeah, it's probably close to 40 miles. Okay, um, thanks. And so um, I'm hanging out, and it's like another hour, and I'm starting to be like, maybe the hotel is a good option. Um the people who are stopping are not helpful at all. Um, I once told someone I was going to Toulouse, and they're like, oh, we're not going there. And then they just kept on trying to talk to me. <laughs> and I didn't speak French, which was very apparent. And they still tried to talk to me. And I, I have no idea what was going on in their mind. There's like a car behind them honking at them. They're just trying to talk to me. I was like, you got to roll out. Like, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how, how you think this makes sense. But they eventually leave. And so eventually this car shows up. And they're young and clearly under the influence of alcohol. <laughs> and this is this is the big decision point. Yeah, you yeah. Know? sure. So they're like, yeah, we can get you to Toulouse. And I'm like, okay, do I accept a ride with the drunk people? Or do I just I go to the hotel or I, do I try to wait it out? And I go, let's, let's risk it for the biscuit. <laughs> and so, because I've clearly made wise choices in the past. So this is... So ordinarily in your ordinal ranking of values not being in a car with a drunk driver is higher it's than getting there. to your destination yes but in this situation <laughs> that was flipped <laughs> they flipped yes all right my values were all out of whack <laughs> my ordinal ranking of values all over the place all over tonight. the place all yeah. over the place because it's because of your time and place and your circumstances here exactly yeah <laughs> um and so um it's local knowledge that that matters yeah um <laughs> And so I'm like, screw it. I'm going to get in the car with these people. And so we're driving, um, and they know some English, but the English that they know does not comfort me. They <laughs> tell me that they love cocaine, um, <laughs> and they are actively drinking while they're driving. Wow. Like, it's some kind of jungle juice thing. It's it's clearly alcoholic, and they are they are drinking and driving. Um, and I'm like, this is a bad idea, but... <laughs> I'm just, I need to make it to Toulouse. After this, I'll be fine. No more hard decisions to make. Then, turns out, they weren't taking me to Toulouse. They were taking me back to the protest with the yellow vests, <laughs> which is not what I wanted. Yeah. Um, and they're like, just wait here. We'll get you a ride. I was like, I thought you were my ride. And turns out they were not. And they start talking to these people for a while. Then they come back to me, and they're like, no luck. No one here is going to Toulouse. Have a good night. And they roll out. And I'm like, now what? Like, I don't even know where I am even a little bit. I have no idea where I could stay the night now. So I, that that option is in the past. <laughs> um, and it's, it's now 12-ish, um, 11, 30, 12. And no one's going down this road. No AM or PM? Yeah. Uh, oh, it's yeah at night. Yeah. At night. Okay, okay. Yeah. No, it's it's not lunchtime. No, this is a terrible time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, okay. It's a terrible time to be hitchhiking. Yes. And so there's like barely any cars coming down. The cars are coming. They are like luxury BMWs that aren't going to stop for me. And yeah. they're going like 120 kilometers an hour. 
and then they're also going you've got like big 18 wheeler trucks that are coming by and they're not stopping because they're on the job and so there's nowhere for me to stay the night and it's very cold and i'm i'm like not able to stop shivering i'm like i could go to the trash can fire and risk it with the french people <laughs> but i'm guessing that's a good way to die <laughs> and so i'm and probably a good way to meet the police again yeah yeah i'm trying to get out of there as quickly as possible because i'm thinking the police are going to be here any second so I'm like, okay, this sign that says Toulouse is not cutting it. I'm, I pull out all the cash I have in my wallet, and I'm like, if no one stops for this sign, I'm just going to flash the money, and hopefully I don't get mugged. Um, the power of cash. Yeah, power of the dollar or the euro. Um, <laughs> and so this car is coming by, and I, I'm showing the sign, and they, they're not giving me the time of day. And then they get closer, and I show them the wad of cash, and then skirt pull over immediately <laughs> and they're like what's going on and i'm like can you get me all the way to toulouse not not halfway not close can you get me all the way to toulouse and they're like no problem i'm like yahtzee okay <laughs> got it um so i get in the car with these people and quickly realize they are high um <laughs> and so this is the this is the second car you've been in with with drivers under the influence, under the of, influence substances of substances that they that will have. that will substantially hinder their ability to drive. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, and if I was unsure of their mental state before, they pulled out a joint and uh, they started looking around for a lighter. So the guy <laughs> who's driving, who's going, it's uh, I think it's 140 kilometers an hour. So yeah. that's somewhere in the neighborhood of 90 miles an hour. Yeah, yeah. Down this three-way uh, highway, is driving with his knees. Looking around, the light in the car doesn't work, so he's just like randomly, uh, like looking on the floor, uh, feeling around on the floor for a lighter so that he can light up a joint. And the other guy's trying to help out as well. Now, have you paid him at this point? The I have not. Cash? No. Okay. No. So he's I not am, getting a tip. No. So, so it's all. I'm. I'm not paying any up front. It's all at the end. And so, um, they eventually find the lighter and light up a joint, and I'm like trying not to breathe in any of the smoke because I don't want to go through a French airport security thing high. <laughs> and so I am I am kind of panicking, and so I can't decide if I want to get pulled over and just, like, see what happens if that happens or just, like, make it there. But I'm pretty sure, like, I'm going to die because the guy is weaving all the way across this, this uh, three-lane highway. We have a couple near misses with some semi-trucks, which I'm like, that's not who you want to run into, especially like in a sedan. Um, <laughs> but they eventually, uh, we're, we're getting close to Toulouse and they're like, okay, so we're going to take you to Toulouse, but not to the airport. I'm like, obviously, because I need another complication. And they're like, we're going to take you to the Metro stop. The Metro is going to take you to the airport. I go, fine. They explain how the Metro works and they pull into Toulouse. They, you know, mount a couple curbs. They go the wrong way down a one-way street. I pay them. They leave, and they probably died in a fiery, fiery car accident about five minutes later. If they're still alive to this day, I would be shocked. Um, yeah, um, that's uh, social Darwinism, right? So- social Darwinism, well, right there. Well, they got all of your money. Yeah. So well, most so they they actually so I offered them a hundred euros, and they only accepted eighty. Which wow! Was, so they're nice people. They're I nice like them. people. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Um, so that was that was very kind of them. Um, and so I get in this metro station, and my card gets declined, so I can't buy a ticket. They don't take cash; they only take coins. 
I'm like, there's no way I have that many coins. I'm just going to look for uh, a cab. But there's no cabs at like one in the morning. And so I go back and I dig around and I find enough coins to buy a ticket. So I buy a ticket. Um, but the Metro doesn't take you directly to the airport. So the Metro takes you to a tram station that takes you to an airport. And so get in the Metro, make it to the, the stop that I need to get off on, get off. And so I'm at the tram station at 2.30 in the morning. And the tram station closed at one. So it doesn't open for another three hours. And so I'm in this ghetto part of Toulouse, just hanging out, trying not to get mugged. Um, and so um, I hung out there for three hours. My earbuds, only one of them worked. So I had to alternate back and forth between which ear I was listening to music with. And then my iPhone died. And so I was cold, alone, afraid, hanging out in Toulouse. But eventually, tram shows up. I think up. that'll be the name of this episode. Code, uh, cold, cold, alone, afraid, hanging out in Toulouse. Yep. <laughs> um, and so the tram comes. I make it to the airport. Um, and that went pretty well. Um, but I did get a chem test on my stuff. And then I had a flashback to when this guy said, we love cocaine. <laughs> um, and I was like, oh, I hope they didn't like have some in there. And so I, I passed that. And I went through passport security. Okay. Um, and when I made it to my gate, I had about a half hour to spare. So I got a beer at 7.30 in the morning, and that was probably the best beer that I've ever had <laughs> in my life. Um, and I made it home safe and sound. All right. So there it is, everybody. Caleb finally made it back to Toulouse. You, you caught your flight. I caught my flight. You yeah. caught your flight just as planned. Just as planned. Well, just as planned. Not, not just as planned. Everything, went, everything went according to plan. Yep. This is basically the moral of the story. Uh, he got his flight back to Madrid, and and um, and Madrid is where you were where you were doing your study abroad. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Perfect. Um, was this was this study abroad? This was a Mason, right? This was a, like a Mason program. This was a Mason program. All right. Yeah. Good. Shout out to the Geo Office, I guess. Huh? Yeah. 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 I'm sure they do. They know about this. Uh, no. Okay. No. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, uh, we'll see. We'll see if they're listening to to the podcast. Probably not. But um, anyway, uh, so. Now that we've heard the story from Caleb, it is my contention, as I said at the beginning of this, that we can teach all of economics, all the basics anyway, with this story, right? So we've got the twin pillars of economics in the words of the great professor Thomas Rustici, which are marginalism and subjectivism. Mm-hmm. And and subjectivism, I think, is the one that shows up the most here because you could obviously tell Caleb's values are not objectively determined. Yes. The, your ordinal ranking of things that are important to you is not constant no matter what. It's not a given from nature. No, it is not. Yeah. And, and, and so you can see this in the way that he valued getting to Toulouse more than almost dying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I don't think I'm exaggerating. Uh, so so I, I was trying to avoid dying. Um, that was my goal. Um, but I was definitely... Um, I had had a good time hitchhiking in the past and I thought, um, so I think there's also, you have something with, uh, differences between expected values and actual values. So, um, my, the market for, for hitchhiking was a lot better on my hitchhiking ride in because that was in the middle of the day, um, on like a Friday. And so the, the average driver was sober um and not going anywhere super quickly um but on my ride back 
it was it was a Saturday night, and it was very late at night. And so it's France, and so they drink, and that's what you do in France. Uh-huh. And so, um, especially at night. And so the the market demographic or the the makeup of the market had changed, and I um, I had not accounted for that in my economic <laughs> calculations. Uh huh. Um, and the results speak for themselves. Yeah. Um, so and I so am. It's not only the values of the buyer here, Caleb, yeah. that are subjective. It's also the values of the sellers who are exactly. the other people driving around um, driving around France just minding their own business. Um, their values also change depending on circumstances, depending on time and place, and that's how this market got so different. Yeah, um, and so I, I took into account um, my values while I was making these, these decisions, um, but I failed to... Um, take a game theoretic approach and look at the um, the constraints and incentives facing my um, the people picking me up, and mm-hmm. so that led to some oversights. And <laughs> um, but it's funny because every single decision I made, I generally thought it was the best decision I could have made in that moment. Mm-hmm. But the results ended up getting me in a worse place ish. So yeah. when I when I got I think the biggest turning point was after the McDonald's when I got in the car with the saxophone beekeeper <laughs> computer guy. Um because that was where I went from a big city and I ended up in the middle of nowhere. And so my my experience in the past indicated that when they when they get me closer it was a place where I could still expect to to have the same probability of being picked up. Um, and what I did not account for was the fact that this guy could drop me off in a place that actually would make it harder for me to get a ride. So if I had just stayed in Foix for a little bit longer, I would have I would have made it out probably much quicker and much safer. But I, I failed to account for the fact that um, even getting there closer geographically does not mean I'm getting there faster Mm -hmm. um and so yeah there's a lot of lots of changes in values and and incentives there absolutely and 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 the the marginal principle i think is really is really interesting as well that that you know i think the best example of that is when you're when you're holding out a wad of cash on the side of the road yes i mean this you ordinarily wouldn't value um you wouldn't value a, a how far a car ride was that it was it was sixty seventy kilometers sixty seven kilometer car ride but ordinarily that's not worth a hundred euros to you. it's so believe it or, so no it's not normally but if you if you got an Uber um, it would probably cost you at least that much maybe really? more um, and so I've told people in the past and they they hear that I spent eighty dollars or eighty euros or a hundred euros or whatever is what I was willing to spend um, and they're like oh that's crazy why would you be doing that. And I was like, hey, look, I was on the side of the road. I had mm-hmm. no other options. Yeah. So my, I had very few um, substitutes for for hitchhiking. Yes. And so I had to make so, uh, hitchhiking work. And so in a, a market of, with a lack of substitutes, um, I have a very inelastic there it is, demand. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Yeah, um, very inelastic demand. And so I was willing to, to basically pay um all all the cash that i had um and so i normally wouldn't be willing to pay that much for for that trip even though that's how much you know uber would value it 
Um, but people often overlook that that's, that would be a cheap ride relative to, to Ubering. Now, that'd be without factoring in risk. So yeah. risk is definitely something that you have to factor into to your valuation as well. So when you get an Uber, you can generally reasonably assume that they are not high and they are <laughs> capable of making good decisions, um, which is not something I could well, assume for these people. And probably obey traffic laws. Yeah. At least decently well. Most, well, I mean, <laughs> most traffic laws, yeah, with an Uber, you'll you'll have this um, followed. They might speed a little, but not, not like this. Not, not like this. Not going 95 down the highway. Yeah. Um, so... <laughs> so yeah, so that's so that's really something. But when you're holding out that when you're holding out that wad of cash, I think it's interesting too that the same effect would not have happened if you were holding out a credit card, despite the credit card also being payment, right? Yeah, because because it it really mattered the mode of that payment, right? It, it mattered that it was cash and that someone saw that and that's what made them pull over yeah not your you said he had a sign as well right i had a sign that said toulouse and yeah and and that and that and that was appealing to people's compassion for you yeah whereas the cash is appealing to their self-interest exactly um so the sign also um lowered the costs of of figuring out if they could take me or not so people yeah lower information um, costs yeah 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 it's uh it yeah lowers transaction costs because um, normally they would have to stop and figure out where I'm going. Um, and then they might have wasted their time and have to go on their merry way. Um, but this way people going to Toulouse know that I need a ride there and people not going to Toulouse know not to bother stopping. Um, so I do think that was, um, uh, that was helpful, but sure. not, oh, not anything compared to the cash. And then, um, when you see a credit card, number one, you know, those people probably did not have uh, a method of accepting that mo- mode of payment. And then, um, secondly, it's hard to to understand what my maximum demand for it would be. So when I'm holding out a wad of cash, they can see clearly this guy's willing to throw down to get to get a ride. <laughs> like he's he's gonna you know give us a good deal of money. But when you see a credit card, it's very ambiguous, um, and you have no idea if I'm offering to pay you ten dollars with a credit card or or two hundred fifty. So you know it's. Um, I think the cash definitely helped a lot mm-hmm. um, on the margin. Absolutely, yeah. The, the power of the power of cash. There's there's a lot of psychological studies actually about this about how you know giving up cash like hurts more um, for the person that's paying it, and it feels better for the person accepting it as well. So it's really interesting how that how that works. Um, I think so. So we've got the we've got the twin pillars of economics: subjectivism and marginalism. But what's economics about at the end of the day? It's about trade offs, right? It's about it's about um, not having the best, the best possible solution because the best possible solution would have been a, a train. Yes. Uh, but that wasn't available to you. Exactly. And let's talk about why that wasn't available to you. Um, this is also kept probably an illustration of, uh, all of the transportation that was, that you ended up using was privately owned, wasn't it? Exactly. Yeah. And this, well, the state-owned trains mm-hmm. failed to come through for you. Exactly. Yeah, I definitely have an axe to grind with the French government. <laughs> um, yeah, their their train system failed me twice, and then they uh, when they pulled me over and I explained my story to the cops, they're like, "Keep on hitchhiking." Like they weren't like, "Oh, our 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 government-run train system failed you. Let's help you out." They're like, "Figure it out, man." <laughs> like 
So when you were at the protest, you had something to protest about. Oh, oh my <laughs> gosh, yes. I was I was ready to protest. Down with Macron, man. <laughs> he needs to fix the trains. Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's like um uh, it's like De Blasio in New York City fix the subway. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, that's that's funny. Um so 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 you ended up relying on those private things because you were appealing to their self-interest, which is Adam Smith would remind us, um, you know, about the the butcher and the and the baker yeah. and the brewer. You address you address them in their self-interest, and it's 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 the way that you, it's the way that you converse with them, and you there's a per- certain persuasion element to it, right? It's sort of yeah. persuading them, hey, come off the road and pick me up. Yeah. So. Um there's very other than the one time I I was showing them cash. There's very little <coughs> ability for me, or I didn't take the opportunity to incentivize them via normal market means like like cash. Mm-hmm. I you you appeal to pity, um, and then uh, generally people can assume that if you if you're wearing a you've got a backpack on and you're you're hitchhiking, you've got a story or two, and so. <laughs> they can generally assume that you'll have a good conversation with these people. Um, and that's something I did feel bad about is not really being able to talk with these people. Um, because I, I had that language barrier. Um, and so I would have really enjoyed to be able to, to hear about these people, these people's lives and to, to be able to, um, you know, give them the time of day or tell them about my, my life a little bit. But, um, you know, lots of the people who, who picked me up other than, at the end, the people who are drinking and the the young couple, everyone was, or and the high people too. So those were people who were, uh, there are two people in the car, but every other one, it was people driving alone. Mm-hmm. And so I think um, people value driving with someone else. And so um, if they can't do that with someone they know, they'd rather drive with someone that they don't know than drive without anyone at all. Sure. And so that's what I was basically offering. I was off. I was offering companionship mm-hmm. um yeah so yeah and so and there's sort of that um if you listen to our episode from uh from from last week with professor klein talk about uh sympathy and theory of moral sentiments with adam smith um and and, and smith has this insight that that that's that that's what governs a lot of our a lot of our behaviors our our sympathies with other people and that we um you know, we, there's a certain aspect of where we really like to be around other people. We like to share sympathy with them, and so this might have been another another area where where you were because you you said you, you only got picked up by people who were alone except for once, except for people who were under the influence. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and then the young couple also did, um, but they were they were extremely kind. I'm very thankful for them, especially, um, and they they seem to do it out of yeah. Just uh, I I'm sure that they've probably been in a similar place as I was. Um, they definitely seem to have like that adventurous spirit. And so I think they could definitely kind of relate and empathize with, with, uh, where I was. You mentioned, um, them, a lot of the people that were picking you up were under the influence. And I'm thinking that's locked up their ordinal ranking. Yeah. Like one beer equals your, your peg down, your willingness or peg up your willingness to hitchhike. The more beers you have or whatever it is, the more likely you are to accept the risk of taking a hitchhiker. Yeah. So there's a lot of lot of ordinal value swapping going on. Yeah. A lot of it due to um, some substances. Yeah. I have alcohol and weed to thank for uh, for getting me <laughs> to, um, to lose because otherwise those substances would not have affected their ordinal ranking of values. Um, <laughs> and I would have been uh, 
you know, freezing my butt off on the side of the road. This is a very good justification of this behavior. Um, yeah, definitely. I, I think it's interesting too how, um, you know, one of the other principles that we know of economics is that you have these trade-offs and you address yourself to other people in a way to persuade them to make these trade-offs happen. And when they agree voluntarily to that trade-off, mm-hmm. it benefits both sides. Well, it's expected to benefit both sides. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So so even even if the people you were hitchhiking with didn't take you to where you wanted to go, which happened a couple times. Often. Yeah. Even if they didn't take you exactly where you wanted to go, at least they got you off the side of the road. Yeah. And they got you out of the rain a couple times. A couple times, yeah. And 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 that at least benefited you. In the short run. In the short run. So so yeah, so we have another. We have a contrast between the short run and the long run. Here. Yes. So so in the short run, you were happy to get off the road. Mm-hmm. In the long run now, looking back at it, you were not. And, and and that was something you mentioned earlier that when you made all of these decisions, you thought they were the right decision in the moment. Exactly. Yeah. And, and they probably were for the most part. So they're they're even looking back. There are one or two so that's what I've thought for a while. And recently I've looked back and I've tried to look at it with without romanticizing it at all and just saying, honestly, what were my, my best options? And so I think there are one or two places, specifically when I was in Foix and the guy couldn't take me all the way, I think I should have I was close enough that I should have tried to to ride it out all the way and not take a shorter hop because taking that shorter hop put me in the middle of nowhere. And so I think that was a risk that I should not have taken. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't fully account for that risk because um, I was kind of unfamiliar with with the risk of being in the middle of nowhere hitchhiking. Because um, even Axe, it was kind of in the middle of nowhere, but it was off of a main road. Mm-hmm. And so this was the first time that I, I ended up getting dropped off in literally the middle of nowhere. and um, Or as literal as you can be. Um, and so... Um, that was, that was a risk I probably shouldn't have taken. Um, and I, I, I should not have gotten in the car with the drunk people probably. (laughs) Um, that's something I, I look back on and that, that, uh, yeah, that was not a good, (laughs) that was 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 a little bit bit too far, probably along the line of, uh, of being too dangerous there. But, but in, in that, in that moment, you had very different needs than you do now looking back at it. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so you know, that, that, that makes a difference for sure. Um, but, yeah, as far as the trade benefiting both both sides, and and, and so you gave the example of the, the people who were high mm-hmm. that you were with, and you had said they might have, you know, you'd be, <laughs> you'd be surprised if they're still. Very surprised if they're still alive. They're still alive. Very. Um, but you. To a certain extent, because of this trade you made with them, yes, you shared in their experience. Yeah, I mean, you were there. I was there. Yeah, you were there with those people. I mean, you 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 were able to have that experience and meet these people because you were willing to make a trade with them. Yeah, and there's a certain aspect of like camaraderie that comes with that, even though, even though it's something you you're never going to see these people again. Yeah, yeah, and these are also people that I normally wouldn't end up interacting with yeah. like I'm I'm never I don't I don't smoke weed and so these are people who <laughs> especially in France especially in France <laughs> um and so um that seems to be like a big part of of their life and they 
they live their lives very differently than me. And if we met in under any different circumstances, we probably would not have gotten along or even ended up talking, but, uh-huh. um, it was desperation and trade. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was, uh, yeah. Trade brought us together. You mentioned this kind of in the beginning and I commented on, it. um, you mentioned sunk costs. Oh yeah. I think it's interesting. You didn't, uh, fall victim to the sunk cost fallacy. It was, well, I'm not going to wait these 12 hours here. And mm-hmm. just because I already bought this ticket, you were, well, I could lose money there, but X, Y, Z, X, Y, Z. And you made a bunch of decisions all immune from the sunk cost fallacy, which I, I don't know if I would say the same. I think I would wait out. I bought this ticket. I'm waiting here. Blah. Yeah. So commend your econ thoughts right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I, uh, yeah, there's sunk cost with, I, uh, with the train ticket, but then I uh, I almost looked at the the flight as a sunk cost for for a moment. I was like, I've already paid for it, but I'm not. Uh, so it's, it's like it's a sunk cost. But then I was like, okay, wait, wait. The value that I get from it is not in the past, so I can still attain it. So if I can get, if I can still um, receive the value of this flight for less of a cost, um, then my second best option, which at the beginning was um, bus to Andorra and then a bus to Barcelona and then a train to Madrid, um, plus staying the night. If I can get there, if I can get to Toulouse cheaper than that, then I should take that route. And so factoring in risk or my expected risk at that time, I thought that it was cheaper to hitchhike. Yeah. Yeah. And that makes a lot of sense because even if you, even if you had missed the flight, you would have been in roughly the same position where you would have had to do that and get a train and get all these other things and stay the night. So you might as well. Yeah. Yeah. So that was the that was the reasoning there. Yeah, that's pretty good. Um, is there anything else that we think that we think is in? Yeah, George. I don't know if you'll be able to fit this in, but I feel like we can. It applies to everything. But we're missing two really big things. I haven't heard much about supply and demand. I feel like somehow we can throw it in there. Okay. Well, maybe. Yeah. There's definitely supply of people willing to hitchhike. Yeah, or, Your or, demand or, was whoop or so, way so up there. <laughs> supply of people willing to pick me up. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I did not. I looked very much on. I I kind of overlooked some of the supply side uh, effects. So I would the yeah the shifts in supply based on where I was hitchhiking from really took me for a loop because like when I was in the middle of nowhere, supply went all the way to the left and. Um, or yeah, yeah. So I went all the way to the left. Um, just make the X. Okay. Yep. <laughs> we were making X's with our hands here. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so went all the way to the left. And so my, my demand stayed relatively constant. Um, maybe shift to right a little in there, um, towards the end. Yeah. Um, but it was, so the, the price that I'd be willing to pay to get out of there became very high. And so, um, so I, there's not a whole lot that you can talk about in terms of shifting or how those, um, supply and demand, uh, effects shifted, um, the quantity produced Q, um, because even though my price that I was willing to pay fluctuated, I never got, I guess I should have considered maybe having money out, but then, um, I have no idea about local, customs about hitchhiking i have no idea if doing that is is taboo or weird 
Um, so I lacked a lot of uh, local knowledge on how to to carry it out. But um, some institutional constraints there. With yep. The cops. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot. Yeah. Yeah, and a lot of the institutions that you're talking about are just like customs that they've developed over time, and how those affect the decision making. For example, if you had a, uh, the same situation, except instead of getting a flight from Toulouse to Madrid, you instead had a flight roughly the same distance, probably from New York City to Washington D.C. This would have been a very different story. Oh yeah, you could not hit. So yeah, that's something I wanted to address as well. So there the cultural context that this took place in definitely matters. Um, hitchhiking in America is very different and it's viewed very differently um, because of serial killers in the, the <laughs> 70s or 80s yeah. started killing people who were hitchhiking. And even though it was a very small proportion of people who were hitchhiking, um, it became very stigmatized. And so now it's it's looked down upon. Um, but uh, I actually have a story about a uh, hitchhike oh not hitchhiking but picking someone up in Richmond I was uh giving my my friend a ride to his car and so I I dropped him off his car and I was he was driving back to his place and I was going to meet him there and um he he made a left but uh, I got stopped at a red light and so I'm stopped at this light and this lady comes up to my car knocks my window um roll down and she's like hey can you give me a ride to to a Rite Aid and I'm like yeah sure no problem um and if I, this occurred after, so this is back when, um, this is this summer. So this is after I've had the uh, hitchhiking experience and I'm back in America. So I'm in Richmond. Um, and so, um, I probably would have said no prior to this experience, but I have a lot of compassion for, for people who are in, in that situation now. Um, mm-hmm. cause I know exactly what it's like to be on the side of the road yeah. and not knowing what you're doing. Um, and so I let her in my car, um, and she's like, Oh, Hey, my, my name's Rachel. Like I'm, I'm Caleb. And then things get a little weird. She's like, how old do you think I am? And I'm like, uh, 30 and just the worst question yeah, you could ask. Yeah. Right so, so I initially, <laughs> when you're never supposed to guess. Yeah, an age. So I told, I told her, I was told never to, never to guess that I shouldn't do that. And she was like, do it anyway. So I'm like 30. She goes, no, I'm like, better to go lower than higher. So I'm like 25. She's like, no, I'm 33. I'm like, okay. Um, so I was pretty close, but, um, we're just talking. Um, and we, it's kind of small talk, nothing significant. We roll up to this Rite Aid. They're like four cop cars and an ambulance. And I'm like, all right. Um, it's, it looks like it's still open though. Do you want to get out? And she goes, so I'm uh, kind of on the run. Um, and I was like, <laughs> Oh shoot! I made a mistake. Um, and so she's like, uh, "Let's go to Kroger or whatever." Um, so she uses my phone, calls to see if they're open, and they have a Western Union there. Um, and they're like, "Yeah." So I, I take her to Kroger, and she's like, "So you're uh, you're probably like regretting picking me up." And I'm like, "No, it's it's fine." Because um, I I I've never considered what I would do in this situation, um, and so. I ended up taking her to Kroger. She's like, can you stay out and wait for me? I'm like, yeah, I can do that. Um, but then I was like, oh, what constitutes aiding and abetting a fugitive? <laughs> um, I feel like when I picked her up, I didn't know. But now if I give her a ride, that definitely is. So I just kind of like rolled out. And uh, she left like this small little knife in my car. And so I still have that left over from that experience. Um, but that shows... Yeah, the people who are are trying to get a ride in America are typically 
different. So I'm still <laughs> I'm still willing to to pick people up, but I just recommend to all listeners, um, hitchhiking in America is not the same as it is in Europe. Um, and should do so with more caution. All right. Yeah. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, I think that was, I think that pretty much that covers a lot of things that we wanted to get in there. So, so let's, so just to make a list at the end for, for listeners, uh, Caleb's story here covered, um, it, it really showed how decision-making works and, and economics is about trade-offs, incentives, decision-making. And it really showed the principles of economics really showed why Caleb's decisions made sense at the time for the most part um a couple of them didn't but for the most part yeah. and and it showed and it showed how 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 markets work how people get along so we we covered marginalism subjectivism trade-offs voluntary trade benefiting both parties we had uh, information costs we had sunk costs elasticity um supply demand i mean it's all in there it's all in there and so this is just showing us this is just showing us this economics in one lesson just showing us that economics is the science of our lives and it is it is it is really really something um, that that people should 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 invest some time in and I encourage listeners think of any other economic principles uh, that that you didn't that we didn't mention that are in the story because there's definitely more so um, thank you so much for being here Caleb I really appreciate it thank you for having me. Loose Vegan Indeterminate is a production of the Economic Society at George Mason University in conjunction with the wonderful folks at WGMU. Special thanks to General Manager Henry Fisher, uh, Production Director Grace Snyder, and Faculty Advisor Roger Smith. You can follow the Economic Society on Twitter. Our handle is at EconSocietyGMU. To see our blog or upcoming events, you can find us on the web at go.gmu.edu slash econsociety. Until next time, abstain from that which is another's, make a becoming use of that which is your own, and whatever you do, don't be a man of system. Catch you next time on Loose Vegan Indeterminate.